Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. And now, Financial Renaissance with the M's. Whether you work in the financial services industry, don't work in the financial services industry, things are going to make sense to you. But today, we got an extra special show. I'm very excited. Um, it is Black History Month. We've got like another week left. And a couple of things happened um, that got me thinking about the topic for today's show. Uh, today's show, we're going to be talking about uh, economic advancement. We're celebrating Black History. We're talking about economic advancement. And as a, as a young person, um, I grew up in the Bronx. I went to CES 229, which is on Roberto Clemente State Parkway, I believe. And every Black History Month, we had, you know, our teacher, Mr. DeLuca, I think he did like, you know, the, uh, what do you call those things, when you have to do the plays and the singing and all that stuff. And every, at every year, or excuse me, um, we would have to talk about, uh, we would end up singing the song, We Shall Overcome. And I didn't like singing the song, We Shall Overcome. So I blame my mother for it, but it's because she had taught me a little bit more about black history than what we were doing um, at school. So what we're gonna do today is we're gonna talk a little bit about um, the past. We're gonna talk about economic stuff that happened in the past, some economic stuff that's happening today. And then we're also, in our second hour, we're gonna be talking about nonprofits and their benefactors. So one of the things that happened this week, I ended up reading an article in Harper's Bazaar, which I thought was the most amazing, visually stunning article. And it was about Cardi B. You know, I, I, she won a Grammy last week and there was a whole lot of drama that unfolded with that. But this particular article had to do with her being a rags to riches story, a Cinderella story. And it got me thinking, you know, when they talk about minorities, whether it's African-Americans, Caribbeans, you know, people of African descent, are we really rags to riches or is it a comeback? You know, so think about that for a minute. And in everything that I talk about today on today's show, you can go ahead and research it, look it up um, and, and make your own, you know, have your own opinions, digest it for yourself. Um, and then we're also going to take a look at some of the Game of Thrones stuff that's been happening uh, between Jeff Bezos and our president. Um, there's a whole lot of stuff going on and uh, we'll look, we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, so looking at the Cardi B story, you know, as I started doing a lot of research, you know, my whole head exploded when I learned about a lot of the black towns and settlements um, in the United States in the early 1900s that were extremely prosperous. And, you know, you have to ask yourself, where did that wealth go? Um, and as I started doing research, I realized that some of it was uh, terrorized away, some of it was stolen away, and some of it was robbed or burnt to the ground. And on the way, when we get back, we're gonna make a couple of MAGA heads, make America great heads explode. We're gonna talk about who is the actual financial GOAT. Uh, the greatest financial person of all time. Thank you for joining us today on Financial Renaissance with the M's. This is a show where we keep our financial ears and eyes open to bring back information relevant to you, your family, your business, and your bank account, and most of all, our communities. I'm your host, Emma Folks, and my co-host, Emmanuel Glaze. Good morning, Emmanuel. Good morning, everybody. Ah, we got the relaxing music. Ah, oh, so soothing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> On a Sunday. We got Emma in the building. White shirt. Thank you, thank you. I was I was 
just matches. <laughs> it matches my shoes. Coordinate on a Sunday morning. Black History Month. Coordinate. Hey, we are the flashiest. We are. You know? Uh, and I'm sure you got something to jump into about Oh, right I do have a lot to jump into. I was talking about... Um, I was talking about, you know, I don't know if you saw the article on Harper's Bazaar. It was, it was talking about Cardi B and her rags to riches story and her Cinderella story. And every time I hear that word rags to riches, it irritates me ever so slightly. Why? Why? Well, you know, if you had a people, the richest continent on the planet right. has been Africa. Right. Right. And if you had these people over in Africa that had all the wealth, the gold, right. the diamonds, all the natural resources that everyone wanted, and you kidnapped them. Yeah and you bring them to this country, you know, hey, it is what it is. Right. A lot of these people who were enslaved, once they got um, freed, they became millionaires. Mm -hmm. They had prosperous settlements, towns, things of that nature. So in the early 1900s, there were a lot of towns that, you know, were doing, that were self-sufficient, meaning they right. didn't need any outside right. help. So if these towns had, you know, were self-sufficient, didn't need any outside help, and then many of them were burned to the ground. Okay, and if they were burned to the ground, um, insurance companies didn't even help out. So once, because it was a riot, and you can look at your own insurance policy, certain insurance companies will not pay out if you die or lose property because of a riot. Okay? Interesting. Very interesting. Till you know, today. You, you know you messed me up the other day. I have a guy that uh, what Gap Man stood for the Gap. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, you know. Black Wall Street. Well, yeah. one of the Black Wall Streets because right. there were several. And right. as I was doing my research, you know, I really, really got blown away by that. And so I'm thinking, okay, so you kidnapped us from the richest continent. So we were wealth, you know, we were wealthy, although we probably didn't look at it in the same way. We come to this country, we are enslaved for hundreds of years, and then we, you know, we're freed, and then we're wealthy again. Right. And then it gets all burnt down. Right. So is that rags to riches, or is it a comeback? It probably should be a comeback instead. But you know, it's interesting. You talk about the history of our country. We don't bring those pieces up they need to be brought up and it's not to it's not to um elicit guilt from yeah. any race or anything like that it's just it's the narrative it, it, the children need to know and i and, and i thank my mother um as a young child you know i was always very rebellious you know i refused to sing i refused to participate in a lot of black history stuff because it felt demoralizing to right. me um you know always singing we shall overcome I'm not, uh, you know, fourth grade, I would sit down and they'd have to call my mom. She's not, <laughs> she's not participating again. She's sitting down. <laughs> she's sitting down again. She's taking a knee. And um, it, because it, it felt bad to me, mm. you know, it, it didn't feel like something that made me happy. You know, when Black History Month came about, I didn't feel happy. I felt like almost embarrassed. Right. Like, I'm not, I'm not asking you for anything. And so. And I'm from a small town, so they really didn't even get into that. What do you mean? My little town is like about 5,000 No, people. no, no, no. I mean, what do you mean they didn't get into it? We didn't do Black History Month. You didn't have Black History Month growing up? I didn't get it until I came to Atlanta. We knew about it and we had still struck. I mean, a lot of the times in my town, was, we, were, we, were, we were late to a lot of things. Okay. Let me say it like that. Okay. And they, so I hear a lot of people say, yeah, we celebrated when I grew up. I'm like, well, I didn't know about Black History. Until That's I why here. I blew your mind with Black Solidarity Day, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Because some of the days you were talking about, I said, like, we didn't hear that stuff. Because we was in a small town and we, were, we weren't running the town. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, to me, it is very important that parents teach their children uh, about history, not just the atroci atrocities of things that have happened mm -hmm. in your culture, whether you're black, Asian, you know, what have you, but you need to teach 
kids about things that they can be happy about or aspire to. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So what we're going to do, we're going to, what is it? I'm going to, uh, head sprung, you know, when you, people's head blows up. Um, <laughs> we're going <laughs> to... We're going to get our heads sprung right now. So we're going to talk about the financial goals because as I was doing all my research, I realized that there is one person in, our, in the history of our planet that had wealth like no other. Right. All right. So in today's dollars, this person's wealth is, accumul is, is, is estimated to have been about $400 billion. Mm -hmm. One person. There is nobody else alive today. Right. All right. Donald Trump's head is probably blowing up right now. <laughs> this guy's name was Mansa Musa the first. Um, he was the richest person in history with a total net worth of about 400 billion. Um, he was born in 1280. Wow. All right. Died in, in 1331. And he ruled the Malian Empire, which covered modern day Ghana, Timbuktu uh -huh. and Mali. Okay. And at the time, his empire produced over more than half of all the gold and salt in the world. Right, and they took a little bit of, you know, T'Challa from Wakanda, you know, although they took lots of little little pieces of other kings from from him, um, but that was one of the persons. One of the biggest ones, yeah. Yeah, he was one of the big ones. Um, and what and, three countries again? Um, Mali, Ghana, and Timbuktu. Very important. Modern day Mali, Ghana, yeah, and Timbuktu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? But those are very important areas. Right, right, and then so um, you know, there's so there was so much that I could talk about. There were so many you know, kings, and so I'm trying to, all I did was pick, you know, little pieces, so again, go do your own research, yeah. you know, and, and you want to pass this knowledge no on excuse. to your kids. You got Google, so you go Google. <laughs> <laughs> I used to have to go to the library. Yeah, we had to pull up the little cards, the index yeah, cards, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you got that choice. Though. Yeah, we had to know the Dewey Decimal System, you kids don't know anything <laughs> about that, don't know anything wow. about that at all. But um, next up, what we're going to talk about is, we're going to go across the pond, okay. we're going to come to the U.S., and we're going to talk um, about the first millionaire of African descent and possibly the most wealthy African American until modern day, you know, 20th century times. Let's do it. You are listening to Financial Renaissance with the M's. We are streaming on SSNATL.com and you can find us live on Facebook at Sensation Station Network. Uh, go ahead and hit that like button um, and you can text us. Join in on the conversation. If there's something that you want to share with us, you can text us at 678-613-5857. You can call us or you can text us. All right. So... What we have, um, we're going to talk about uh, William Alexander, I believe it's Leiden Diesendorf. Liesendorf. <laughs> Liesendorf. And also uh, Jeremiah Hamilton. Uh, Liesendorf was one of the first African-American millionaires. And as I started trying to define what was African-American, because I was really trying to look at what happened, you know, on the journey from Africa. Mm -hmm across the Atlantic to the Americas, and then what I considered African-American changed up, you know, because then there's the Caribbean. So I really tried to keep a lot of what I did to the lower 48 states. Gotcha. Okay. So um, William Liesendorf, um, he ha was into um, shipyards, lumber mm. yards, um, and, and real estate in the early to mid-1800s, and he built the first hotel in San Francisco. Wow. Yeah. And in today's wealth, he would be have been worth about $20 million adjusted. And every number that I give you is going to be adjusted for inflation. Gotcha. So I had to do, I found a calculator. <laughs> I found a calculator online where I could go back and put in what a person's net worth was and inflate it at, you know, I used about 2.9%, which is the average of what inflation is, 
to bring it to today's dollars. See, she always doing that extra. Yeah, I do too much extra this stuff. This is for y'all, y'all out there. Yes. So the, Emma knows money. I'm em, sorry. Emma ahead. does know money. <laughs> Emma loves, loves to talk about money and money, you know, it's it makes the world go round. Right. Right? And so as I was doing the research on William Liedersdorf, I knew already from another show that I had done about Jeremiah Hamilton, and they uh -huh. call this guy the Prince of Darkness. Mm. All right. He was um, in, in New York City, um, and his, I feel, um, and I still have more research to do, I feel he was the wealthiest African-American until the 20th Til century. Until the 20th century. Till the 20th century. When he died in 1875, his net worth was $250 million. Current time current time okay. in today's dollars now the reason why i like this guy is one he was in new york okay okay and he bought up a bunch of properties um in 1835 after the great fire of new york okay. you know fire departments are something relatively new right. so back in the day people would burn each other's properties down etc and you know you would have these volunteer fire it was a whole mess right. right let it burn let it burn right so he ended up buying up a whole bunch of, of properties and he is possibly the first black man to have a office on Wall Street. Wow. Okay. Um, he also bought up um, properties in Astoria, I'm assuming Queens, and Poughkeepsie, New York. And the one thing I really like about this guy is he was really ahead of his time. Right. He didn't back down to anybody. He would actually get into legal and physical altercations with Vanderbilt. Cornelius Vanderbilt. They fought on the courthouse steps. Yeah, you gotta look up. Yeah, that's pretty big. Yeah, and back in that day, and you know, people came to his house. He also married a white woman, mm -hmm. so he just completely went against the grain. Yeah. A mob, mobs used to come to his house to try to get him. 1870s, yeah. Yeah, this is like 1850s, 1860s. Yeah. They were coming to get him, and he just didn't care. So when I look at stuff like that, you know, I always think like, man, what? How would my life have been different if I'd heard about that as a kid? Right. You know, if you knew that there was somebody that went against the grain, somebody that looked at, looked for opportunities, right. you know, economic opportunities. Um, Y'all don't understand how big that Vanderbilt is. If you ever want to look up what Canadian Vanderbilt did. Yeah, Vanderbilt was a big deal. Yeah. Very big deal. For him to stand up to him. Yeah, isn't uh, Vanderbilt, isn't that uh, Anderson Cooper's uh, probably great-great-great-grandfather? Something like that. Yeah, because he's, he's also of Vanderbilt descent. Yeah. Um, another woman that um, <laughs> I took a look at, there was there was a slave owner, and this, this had me cracking up. There was a slave owner named David Dixon. You know, he had a bunch of kids. Some of them were you know, he had with his slaves. And one of his uh, bastard children, is what they called them back then, um, her name was Amanda America Dixon. Well, when her father died, he left her the majority of his estate. Wow. Um, and this is like in the 18, like this was around 1885. Right. That was unheard of. Yeah. Usually the money went to the wife, your legitimate children that you, you had claimed. with your wife, yeah. right? You're right. The the ones that you had with your married lawful yeah. wife, um, or your siblings, things of that nature. So this went to court, you know, for a couple of years, and they were here in Georgia, hmm. and the Supreme Court's here in Georgia ruled that it's hers. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, let's see if I can find this. Uh, the higher court stated that the rights of each race are controlled and governed by the same enhancements of principles of law. In other wow. words. Whatever rights and privileges belong to a bastard white child belong to a mixed-race child as well. It just makes it's interesting you say that because a lot of people don't understand that uh, during those times, people were becoming millionaires. And yes. it's just funny, you, and, I, and I think when you talk about the time that they're talking, you're looking at probably some steel, because even though we were freed. Right, well, some people... 
Yes. Some people. Some were. people were. But you talking about even, you brought the state of Georgia. And just think about that. When you talk about the state of Georgia, and she still was able to get quote unquote money. Right. <laughs> like Cardi right. B say today. Right. She got money. Right. And her, her the whole family fought them. But in today's dollars, her you know she was worth about seven million. But but it was it was a landmark. You know, it was a landmark decision back then. Okay. That this money went to that's, this that's person. Crazy. That's crazy. That's, see, I mean, Emma's dropping knowledge on y'all. Like yes. That. See, they just tell you about... And these are the things that a lot of things you have to go out and find and you're in the research. Right. Again, as a child, if you... Now, not this one because she inherited the wealth. Right. right? But there's so many stories of people who got out there and got on their grind and, you know, made things happen. Um, Biddy Mason was another one. She was a, a ex-African-American slave. She even knew that her, by her owner taking her to California, she would be able to fight for her uh, her freedom, right. and nobody said anything to the owner. Right. So she ended up fighting for her freedom, and I'll talk a little bit about her um, on the other side. Yeah. Um, so I would like to introduce our guest. We have a very special guest today. Yeah, he's kind of special. He is you. very special to me. Um, this is the reason why I do everything that I do. And uh, young man, would you like to uh, tell us who you are? Well, uh, good morning, everyone. My name is Ramius Folks. Um, special thanks to Emmanuel and Emma and uh, Sensation Station Network for having me. And Emma. And Emma. <laughs> <laughs> Ramius is in the building. Yes, Mr. Folks, Mr. Folks. We'll talk to him. Celebrating Black Wealth. Wealth on Black History Month. The shortest month of the year. It doesn't matter. And, and I have a great time with it. My uh, business partner, uh, Jeffrey Wright, does some really, really cool stuff on Instagram. You've probably seen some of the posts. The first two. Yeah. The side piece. Yeah. thought it was very interesting. <laughs> yes. You have to laugh sometimes. You, it's have not, to. you have to laugh sometimes. We have a very, very special guest um, on the show today. I am. Uh, why don't you go ahead and... Well, this young man uh, has a great voice. And, uh, <laughs> he is the, the Emma's twilight in the eye. Uh, <laughs> Twinkle of my eye. <laughs> Ramius folks is in the building. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing very well, sir. Thank you for having me. Before we go, where did the name come from? Let me ask. What name? Ramius. Oh, wow. Ramius. So... I like the name. I, I just think it's dope. And so yeah, he. I don't think he likes it because he's like, Mom, any name that ends with an I-U-S is usually ghetto. And I'm like, well, you know what I went through for this name. So his name was supposed to be Ramses, folks. But, you know, from the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh. Right. So his name is Ramius Kemet. And Kemet is the oh, name wow. that the... Oh, you know what that is? Yeah. Oh, tell us. I don't mean I'm let you go. No, no. I know of it. I don't okay, know so Kemet was, is the name of that Egypt... Um, that, that's what they call themselves, the land of black. So I named him Ramius Kemet, or it was supposed to be Ramses Kemet. Rakim, get it? Gotcha. <laughs> but Ra. But Ra, but, which is also the sun god. Right. At the time in the 90s, Ramses was also the name of a condom, right? And one of the things I wanted to do was make sure that if I gave my child a name, it would not be a name <laughs> that they would get teased about. You know, imagine your kid being named Trojan. <laughs> so, so, Ramius. Hey, you owe her. <laughs> you owe me big time. You but, owe her. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, sir, why don't you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, I've been stressing the importance of teaching children about black history. 
And I remember about 15 years ago, you know, you being very upset with me because you were on spring break and you had an assignment, not school assignment, but a mom assignment. You want to tell us about one of those, any of them? When I was a child, I don't think I had a very traditional upbringing because instead of um, getting in trouble or, you know, doing traditional punishments, my mother was mad at me. She'd make me look up uh, black people of prominence, of significance. Oh, this one. I remember that I forgot what I did, but long story short, the punishment was to read the autobiography of Malcolm X. Wow. And I have to say that after that punishment, it completely changed the way that I looked at the world, um, learning the truth about Detroit Red, Detroit um, Red as he yeah. was previously known, yeah. before yeah, Malcolm a, X, before the dope. prominence, the proliferance of his involvement in the black community. Wait, what's up? Hold on, right? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. I'm going to have fun with this today. Don't bring your family to work. So we <laughs> <laughs> But so you had to, that was actually like that punishment. You had to learn yes. through your punishment. And yes. the first thing that you, how old were you when you read autobiography? Um, I had to have been freshly in high school, so I would say anywhere from 13 to 15 years old. Wow. And that's a great one to read, too. I yeah. mean, Detroit Red, if y'all don't know, that's Malcolm X prior to the switching to that. And so when you got to that point, as you've grown now, what did those times and those, those readings and all that meant to you? After having the ability to ruminate on that information for some 10 years, I guess, because I mean, it's been about 10 or so, 10 or more yeah. years, probably 16 years, looking at the parallels between that time period and the extremely polarized time period that we are now, it makes me appreciate what he was trying to do. Because now more than ever, we see a need for what he was doing. Right. Community involvement. Right. Meal programs. Right. Access to health care, to food, to water, it's to amazing how that basic stuff resources. It's still important today. Flint, Michigan still doesn't have clean water. Right. And community involvement and things that we still lacking in our communities. It's, uh, Indeed. Yeah. So, Emma, you okay over there? Oh yes, I'm fine. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just listening. I'm just taking it in his vocabulary. Every once in a while, he says words, and I'm like, oh, I need to write that down. Ruminate is up. a great. Yeah, I need to look that up. <laughs> yeah. That's what happens. So as we go through Emma, I mean, do you have you? I see you wrote some certain things down, Ramius, and then I most certainly did. Talk to us about him. About him? Oh yeah. well, you know, Ray, why don't you talk to us a little bit about you know, as a millennial, um, when you look at today's economy. Um, you know, you're coming at things from a different vantage point than we did. Okay. Right? So when you look at today's economy, like kind of describe to us, like how do young people navigate today's economy? What's better? Is it better for you today than possibly it was for me? Or is it worse for you guys today than it was for us? All surveys point to worse in terms of opportunity for my age group. We live in a society that's so interconnected to the heights of which we're probably never contrived but still the opportunities for advancement and I would say the deterrent and barriers to entry in certain avenues um, professions like doctors lawyers you know programs that create jobs that have wealth generating capability beyond your current lifetime I don't think those opportunities are as readily available as they previously were. So do Any, you, anyone can go to college, anyone can get a student loan, but no one can get a business loan. 
that's funny because you know they always say and we're gonna bring it back when we talk on the other side is that you can get two hundred fifty thousand dollars in student loans but you can't get twenty thousand dollars in a business loan no that's oh. great and that changes depending on your skin color as well yeah, absolutely it does. That's absolutely. So y'all stay with us. Hey, so we're back, man, and I just, I'm glad y'all are here. This is important. And Emma's here with her son, Ramius, and Ramius brought up a very good point about today's time is a little bit rougher economically for the younger people than people think, Ramius. I think people think, you know, y'all got it good, you got all these social media opportunities and all that, but you just broke down something that people didn't really realize. Talk about expounding that a little bit more about how is it rougher now for you guys than it was back then. As young people, we have access to so much information that we can start our own businesses, we can start our own foundations, we can be the change that we want to see. We just simply don't have access to the economic resources that our seniors do. When I say our seniors, I just simply mean the people who have been on the earth longer than us. Yeah. We have pockets and communities <laughs> and age groups that have access to considerable wealth in relation to the millennial generation. You know, you're 90, I think 93 is the uh, the oldest or youngest millennial, I'll say. Gotcha. Um, for those that don't know, because that's a very just arbitrary term that's used to describe young people. Right. Um, we can go to college, we can spend all this money investing in an education to go into a job market that doesn't have any openings. Wow. Yeah, that says a lot. And, and that's frustrating as a parent to, to hear your kids say something like that, you know. Wow. And you get to hear from both sides. So, so we'll be, we come back. We got more. Stay with us. Big business. This is the American Station, Station Network. See ya. Hey, welcome back, everybody. You listen to Financial Renaissance with the M's, with your boy Eagles and Emma, folks, Emmanuel and Emma M's. And we're here right now talking to uh, the great Ray, folks. Hello, hello. Uh, he's sitting here talking. And what I wanted to talk about, Ray, do you feel like we were just talking about him, back what we were talking about were this generation's feeling that they don't have the opportunities to have the wealth or the opportunity to build the their economy like we did now. Let me ask you this. Do you feel that is it more because of the way the society is right now or is it our generation i say it generation what we call x x we x, x didn't build enough to allow you guys to get there i don't think it's any fault of generation x i actually feel like it's the baby boomer generation mm -hmm. the generation that had the booming war economy who didn't really invest into the future if you look at it a lot of people in the gen x group they're still suffering from or repairing their fortress, their financial fortress from the recession. Right. People are still rebuilding their lives. And so you can't really blame someone that was thrust into an improperly constructed found financial foundation, um, for lack of a better term. So you're trying to get somebody to do something with a burnt down house and trying to hey, rebuild. Like we talked about last week, you yeah. know, when we were talking about the pay and, 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 uh, what is it, unions and, right, the, and right, the wage. So right. a lot of this this crunching down, it's trickling down into other generations. Right, and you can tell. And you can tell. And that's why I want to make sure because I feel like our generation, Emma generation, is trying to build and still trying to raise the millennium. And take care of their parents. We're called actually the sandwich generation now. That's a good point. Where it's, yeah, and that we'll do a whole show about that. <laughs> you know, there's a whole, a whole other show. So we're know? responsible for what happened before us 
and trying to build for what's happening in front of But to his point, a lot of people really got set back. A lot of wealth got wiped off the map during the recession. The recession. You know, and you saw, you know, I had the clip coupons for the first time in my life. Like, the recession hit. It humbled me. Yeah. Financially, it humbled me. It humbled me. And that was a tough time. Go ahead, though. To give you a perspective, most young people age, you know, 12 to 14, that's when they get their first job. When the recession hit, I was 13 to 15. I couldn't learn to work. I couldn't get my first summer job. We're dropping out these, you know. So, Emma, what we got coming so up? So, com- coming up, we're going to kind of continue talking with our greatest joy, and then we'll hit some Emma Knows Money. Greatest joy. My greatest joy. Greatest joy. It better be me. <laughs> Everybody successful lays a blueprint out. We laid the blueprint out. I stayed true to my dreams. And by doing that, eventually it came true. A lot of times, you know, it's like in life, right? Life brings like drama and you gotta deal with this person and then you relationship here and all these things. You try and just kind of balance them out as best I can. Make a choice. Like you just decide what it's gonna be, who you're gonna be, how you're gonna do it. Just decide. And then from that point, the universe is going to get out Everybody your way. Everybody wants to be a beast until it's time to do what real beasts do. And we are a financial renaissance with the M's. I am the MF, and that is the EG. <laughs> and, we, and we are talking to Ramius folks, our millennial expert on economics. Um, we are celebrating black wealth, and right now we're going to be talking about some some wealth trailblazers. Hold on, real quick. Shout out to either Biggers. Oh. She said, go Emma. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Biggers. Dr. Biggers. Dr. Biggers. So yes. shout out to Dr. Biggers. Shout out to Dr. Biggers. So, Emmanuel, who, when you think about um, women, black women in our country, when you think of the first female, the richest female, or the first woman mi- millionaire, what comes to mind? Madam C.J. Walker. Madam C.J. Walker. But do you know she wasn't the first? Really? Yes, man. When I like when I tell you, I went down a rabbit hole and got lost. <laughs> I got lost. So the actual first, uh, America's first and most prominent businesswoman, um, her name was, oh gosh, now I can't remember her first name, but her last name is Malone, and I apologize. I'll put it up on the website. Um, what she did was she developed, uh, she founded and developed Poro College, and it was a commercial and education business focused on cosmetics for black women she was born to former slaves so she is you know first generation freed and she later developed a chemical ladies she later developed a chemical that could straighten black women's hair without causing damage to the hair of scalp okay so this college that she had was an institution of learning that was supposed to teach people about black cosmetology and so she ended up creating 75,000 jobs for women around the world 75,000 jobs. So we're so again when we're looking at business owners, business owners are job creators. Right. She records she's recorded as the first black millionaire and her wealth uh, in today's standards would have been and this is again back in the 1920s right. was a whopping 167 million dollars. Okay? Now, we can Definitely go to see nine figures. Now, guess what school Madam CJ Walker went to? Right. Yes. yes. So she, she went to Poro. She <laughs> went to Poro College. So she came after Malone. 
She was taught by Malone. So again, you know, and we don't know how many other women. So black wealth building black wealth generation upon generation. Correct, correct. And so I was absolutely fascinated by that. That's awesome. That's good to know, right? Yes. And then, and let's go to Alabama. I don't know the song for Alabama, other than for Jeffrey say Road Tide. <laughs> That's Roll all I know tide. about all of Alabama. Well, I know other stuff about Alabama, but positive stuff I know Road Tide. But here's another positive story is about Arthur Gatson. You ever heard of him? Mm-hmm. Arthur Gatson had um, several businesses uh, in Birmingham. Um, he had the Gatson, uh, it was Citizen Savings and Loan Association. He had the AG Gatson Construction Company. He had a financial uh, institution called CFS Bank Shares, and throughout the 60s, he was one of the richest black men in America. You ever heard of him? Look at your face, man. In Alabama. In Alabama. And this is the thing. The thing about him that really, really got to me uh, was that he was the leading employer of blacks in Alabama. Wow. Okay? So, again, black wealth creating, you know, opportunities uh, for other people. And then, so let's fast forward to today today's time, the 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, since we've been on the planet. Yeah, since we've been Since we've been here, right? Since we've been here, there was a gentleman by the name of Reginald Lewis. You ever heard of him? Any of you? Believe so, but keep going. Reginald Lewis, okay. He um, was listed in Forbes magazine, the Forbes 400 in 1992, right before you. Um, he was considered the richest black man in America in the 80s. Um, his net worth, let's see... Well, forget his net worth for right now. Let's talk about what he did. Yeah. All right. Remember back in the day, our parents, some of us, if your parents didn't have a lot of money, they, they made your clothes. Yeah. And they had patterns. Yep. And remember McCall? Butterwick? You probably, okay. So, ladies, there was McCall and I believe there was Butterwick, <laughs> Butterwick or something like that. He actually bought the McCall Pattern Company for $22.5 million, And then he sold it three years later for $65 million. Wow. Okay, talk about flipping. That's how you flip. That's how you flip. And then, you will know this name. He bought Beatrice International Foods for $985 million, renamed it to TLC Beatrice International. And that's a snack, food, beverage, grocery store conglomerate. And it became the largest black-owned and managed business in the country. And when he did this, this was in 1987, the year I graduated high school. Never heard of this guy. Mm -hmm. Right? This would have been my hero back then had I known about him. Um... In that same year, in 1987, his company reported a reven- revenues of $1.8 billion, making it the first black-owned company to have more than a billion dollars in annual sales. 1987. Wow. Okay. Look at you. Right. I'm telling you. So, and, and then, you know, fast forward to 2001, who was the first black billionaire? I think BET? Yep. You want to ask Johnson. Robert Johnson, right. Yeah. Did, did I teach you any of this? No. So what, I don't know. We, we'll look up his network, but he wasn't a billionaire, Lewis. Um, you know what? I know the, his the, business was. His businesses were, but when I was looking him up, I'm going to have to do more research. And a lot of times, when people are wealthy, the one thing, and and I'm going to talk about this during my Emma knows money. Annie segment. Turnbull Malone. Annie Turp. Thank you, Annie Turbo. Shout, shout out to somebody's uh, <laughs> significant other who wrote it. Is that your significant other? No, oh, my significant other. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, dropping, baby. Dropping knowledge out there. <laughs> That's my, the best manager of all time. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, when, when we're looking up, when I was trying to look up people's net worth, one of the things that happens is you're able to calculate people's net worth by their businesses that they have. You you know, certain information is public information. Right. But as far as things that they have, when they pass away, they pass their assets on to their kids through trust. Trusts are not public knowledge. 
So when you don't have a will or a trust and things like that and you pass away, everything that you have becomes public knowledge. So that's how sometimes we can generate people's networks. I would love to know, like those people that you brought up, mm -hmm. what happened to their wealth, where did it go? Who took it over? I want, uh, man. I wanted to do that journey, and I mean that could be to, later. Yeah, but I, have I would to stop love myself. to know. You know, what I'm saying like, what happened to it when he, you know, when Lewis, when he passed? Yeah, where did the where did the wealth go? Where did it go? Who took over? Yeah, so let's let's look at today. Okay, there's a gentleman by the name of, and my wife will, she's gonna kill me again, but his last name is Smith, Robert Smith. Yeah. Okay, um, he's a billionaire. Right. His net worth is about 4.4 billion. He is the richest African American. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the reason why I'm bringing him up, let's, let's talk about philanthropy. Okay. And philanthropy is important. We're all philanthropists. If you donate money to a organization or a charity, you are a benefactor. And right. you need to look at yourself as such, especially for tax reasons. Um, and with this guy, he, um, let's see, some of the things that he's done, he signed a, a giving pledge. He's the first black person, black American, to sign a giving pledge, which is he's committed to contributing half of his net worth to phil philanthropic ca causes over his lifetime. So that means half of what he has, he's given away. Okay, and he believes in you know um, giving money away to people, all people, regardless of their background, country of origin, religious practice, gender, or the color of their skin. So he's just giving. He's just giving it away. And so, well, you know, some of the things that he's done, he's committed about 20 million to the National uh, Museum of uh, African American History. Um, he's given away. Uh, I think he had about. 31 billion, no, no, 31 billion is what his company had under ma management, but what he did was he took the reserves from one of the funds he was trying to, he was raising, and whatever was left behind is what he was donating towards, like, scholarships and things like that. So, you know, he, he focused... That's a big, I mean, if he's a 4.4 billion, you're talking about half of his net worth to give, that's a, that's a lot. Yeah. I mean, you can make the math, I know y'all can't. Most likely more than he'll ever spend in a life. Who do yeah. you know that's giving away money that you like? Locally in the city of Atlanta, I would say Killer Mike. Um, he recently started a, uh, a series on Netflix called Trigger Warning, where he's exploring a lot of the black activism that we're seeing, which is buying black, um, keeping your dollar inside the black community longer than a week, which I think is the average, if I'm not mistaken. It's six Nicholas. hours, actually. It's six hours? That's, oh, that's wow. on the show next week, guys. <laughs> no, it's not yeah, long. It's not long. We would love for it to be a week. Yeah, <laughs> we would love for it to be a month. <laughs> but there's there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes along with that. So uh, I'll end up breaking break that. More, I'll but, end up breaking but, that down next week. But I like Trigger Warning. I enjoyed the whole, especially that first one when he yeah. said he was trying to survive off of black-owned products. Oh wow! Yeah. And he couldn't. Wow! I was just thinking. I don't know if I could. I'm just thinking about that. He was trying to survive off of one for a month. For skincare, no, hair he care. Was, so he, the situation was that he had a show in Athens. Right. And so for the duration right the of that stay, he did his best to spend his money with only black-owned establishments and only on black-created or owned products. So just think about one thing, and let me tell you right now, vehicles. Oh, okay. The only one that I know of is being produced in Africa presently. I didn't even know that, but I know there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff going on. Chance the Rapper is one person that I was looking at. Um, he actually has donated about two million two million dollars to the Chicago Public Schools, mm -hmm. and then he donated another million dollars to go towards mental health. Wow! And it's supposed to be split up between I believe it's like six agencies. Um, Wendell Pierce, he was on the Wire. Yep. 
he ended up buying there's over there was over four i've driven well haven't driven i rode a train from dc to baltimore and i saw a lot of neighborhoods and i'm like man that was the wire so what there's over forty five thousand vacant homes in baltimore what he did was he ended up uh, investing in a 20 million dollar uh, apartment complex into a project um, and they hope i think it's done i'll have to do some more research on that but to make sure that people have affordable living and that they're not living um with with you know buildings that are kind of like i call them bombed out you, you, you remember way to excel yeah the big brother i know who wendell pierce yeah, I'm is saying. i'm saying you but for, for our viewers you need to know who wendell Pierce Wendell's is. one of my favorite guys hey wendell was a cop on on the wire that's what i remember because he was sorry and waiting to excel he that's was what horrible I'm like, he was horrible i hated him women out there i he hated the him. guy that everybody hated <laughs> he, they didn't like wendell that <laughs> nah he wasn't on his stroke <laughs> Dream of the future, brought to reality by Station Station Network. Hey, welcome back, man. It's the second hour of the show. Financial Renaissance with the M's, with the EG and the MF. MF. I don't know if my mom is going to like that. BMF. The MF. We'll take the ER off. Yeah, MF really sounds bad. You are that, though. I you know, am If <laughs> <laughs> hey, you missed the first hour of the show, man, we're breaking down Black History Month. I think Emma's doing a great job of telling y'all about, it, not only about black wealth, how it went over the centuries, but how some of the misconceptions about, oh, we didn't have money during periods of time. Because I think a lot of times we always look at the 60s, and going back to the brother was in the 1960s in Alabama during the time, some of the civil rights time. Yes. We don't know that there were people still, we still have millionaires, and we're talking about the richest man ever was from the African, from Africa. Yes. And things of that nature. So, MS Graham, you know, we talked to, we talked to uh, Sir Ramius. <laughs> Hello. Sir Ramius. <laughs> Sir Ramius, folks. And uh, he was bringing up, talk to us about this generation and where there are the quote-unquote millennials and, and uh, economic, and do they feel like they have the economic empowerment? I have a question for you. To be able to do that, go ahead. I have a question for you about Janet Yellen. Janet Yellen. Yeah, what do you, she's the, uh, well, she was the former chairwoman of the Federal mm -hmm. Reserve. Um, you know, do you think she did a good job? Do you think she was on point? You know, you and I, like, the weird thing is my son and I, my whole family, we have conversations about, if it has to do with money, we're talking about we're it. Talking. Yeah, we're, we're talking it. And, you know, I, again, I encourage people, when you have financial meetings, you have to, uh, have your kids there, all right? Um, you have to have your kids involved in the conversations so that they understand what's happening in the world. So talk to me, son, about Janet Yellen. What do you think? Did she do a good job? When I graduated in 2015, I think interest rates, they were doing quantitative easing or something like that. So they were artificially kind of keeping the interest rates low. So personally speaking, I think that I just got lucky and that I got out and graduated uh, college at a time when interest rates were low. So getting a car, trying to get my first place, everything was slightly easier. Right. It's um, interesting. Very interesting to say that. That's, that's, that's quantitative easing. Quantitative easing. Quantitative easing is, is uh, what the Federal Reserve Bank did when we hit our recession. Right. And the quantitative easing is what the federal banks, and it's the federal banks or the central banks in any nation 
does, they infuse money into the economy to prop the economy up. Gotcha. Okay, and when the Federal Reserve did that, they put about uh, three trillion, I think, they bought bonds and they put that into our economy. And part of what we're going to be going through um, in the next few years is they need to sell that stuff back to us. Yeah. So let me ask you this, Ray. Um, seeing that your mom and how she was building and, and working through money, what was that like for you to be able to see her build this Emma Knows Money empire that she has going? Well, it sounds like you asked me a two-part question, <laughs> one being what it was like to grow up um, in a money-minded family or community, so to speak, yeah. and two, what it's like now seeing the culmination of those efforts yeah. present day. Is that correct? Yeah, that's good. Okay, so growing up um, in a money-minded family, I think I was aware of more than I probably should have been at a young age. <laughs> um, not in my own household, but in terms of the world. Because I understood the significance of one dollar, I don't think that's something that most children understand. Much so, older. so let me explain why. So, remember Blockbuster? Yes. Okay. So we used up. to go to Blockbuster every Friday. Okay, and he never liked to bring his wallet. He's always been real <laughs> slick with money. So he would leave his wallet at home, and we would go to Blockbuster. You know, he'd get his movies, and then you know they have that bait stuff for the kids where it's all the cute candies right, and all right that crap. Right up front. And he would say, "Oh, I, I want this. I want this. Where's your wallet?" Right? You didn't have your wallet. And I said to you, I would buy it for you, but you're going to have to pay me back with what? Interest. So and he from was a very 10. early age, um, <laughs> wow. I learned that nothing in life is free. Money's not free. I cannot lend you money for free. Yeah. And so as a result, he very rarely asked me for money. Job well done. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Job well done. And we'll, uh, you, part two will be coming on the other side. But what else we got coming up? Coming up, we're going to talk a little bit more about benefactors um, and some nonprofits, some people doing some good things out in the community with their wealth. All right. Stay with us. Hey, hey, major people. I'm at the Renaissance with the M. Emma, folks. MF. And E.G. So I put the E.R. at the end. Yes. E.G. <laughs> and, and I'm speaking with Ray, man, and the Ray folks up in the building. And we were talking about part two of that, and you were talking about coming to the culmination of seeing what your, what your mom was creating. So just finish that off before, you know, the M.F. jump in again. So <laughs> Okay. So I think the last place that we left off was the topic of interest. And so I think that was the founding principle of what helped me understand the dollar. Um... So, again, that was probably like about you 10. Were, I think you were 10, yes. Wow. Yeah, so then, again, or in high school, you know, right before the recession, mom was working as a manager. So a lot of late hours, a lot of understanding why she was working late hours. Um, understanding money helped me understand sometimes why I didn't have the same relationship with my parents as other people in terms of uh, time. Sometimes my mom had to put time towards my future by taking it away from me now. And I think that that's one component of uh, financial literacy that isn't discussed is time. Time is money. Boy. So when you think about the time that you have and how you spend it, it's because of money. When parents aren't spending time with their children, money, and it's just seeing my mom take her individual practice and grow it you know, I've always understood why at times we could have a certain time together, but it seems like we're getting it back now. So she was building for the future. Exactly. And so that's something that wow. was 
understood because she gave me my first stock. Well, she didn't give me. We took the money that <laughs> right. we got from my birthday, and no instead of spending, here. yeah, <laughs> no instead of spending it on toys or trinkets, she told me to find five of my favorite stock companies or this publicly is, traded companies. This is very important, y'all. I think this is very important. And at about 12 years old, you know, I was in, very into video games, but that didn't matter. I chose Activision, Blizzard, wow, Microsoft, wow, Wendy's. I love their fries. <laughs> McDonald's, you know. What was every kid screaming back in the day? Yeah. McDonald's. Mcdonald's. That's for kid, most kids' first <laughs> first symbol that they recognize. The, the, the artists, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it was that, I guess, freedom, in a, in a sense, for me to be able to choose my own portfolio that gave me the understanding I needed to not feel some type of way when my mom was investing time via money into my future. That is so. I know she wasn't ready for that, but I, I, I can tell by her face. I think this is the first time she's heard that, y'all. You know, and and you know, I, I joke <laughs> around about watching Ratchet TV because I have issues. Some of my issues <clears throat> stem from the the time that I, I I feel like I stole from him, and so I'm always questioning whether or not I was a good parent, whether or not I did this right or I did that. And I think right. a lot of people do, but I like what I like what he said. You were invested in the future, right? And I'm glad I I didn't know that he understood what I was doing, and so that's why my face looks like this. Like I I low-key want to get off camera and go cry somewhere right now um did i say low-key right is that what i want did i say that right a plus mommy <laughs> so, he tries to keep me up on all the same and we, i know that'd be a great one later on in the great show is yeah. to talk about how people understand the investment of time and money and then things like that but thank you ray i'm glad you got you okay i'm okay, I'm okay. <laughs> i think we both over here about the crowd yeah, like, <laughs> you're like man this just took a turn let's talk Ooh. real quick guys <laughs> oh, all right so let's uh talk to about somebody fun let's talk about diddy 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 does it he just opened a school didn't yeah he? he did he um he opened a new school called capital preparatory in harlem with uh steve perry and steve perry is known for right. his work in uh in charter schools and things like that and and diddy has also donated millions of dollars to the boys and girls club especially the one in harlem yeah. where you know where he grew up and so diddy is constantly doing things to pour money back into the future and 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 Giving money back doesn't mean paying bills. Min giving money back means investing in the next generation. Mm. Hey, Ray, why don't you tell us what we did for you for, you for Christmas? So for Christmas, um, my parents, uh, as long as I can remember, have known that I have an extremely creative personality. And so from, you know, voiceovers to accents, I've just always been practicing because I just used to love just the various characters in TV. So... For my birthday, they actually got me voice acting lessons. And um, I can honestly say that the time that I spent taking those lessons, I feel like has created another money-making opportunity. And I think that's one of the reasons I feel like I have some of the best parents in the world, because instead of buying me, you know, Jordan shoes or, you know, because I know that's a common example. Everyone loved Jordans. I still love Jordans. I'm but, wearing Jordans. Yeah, so, like, let's not, let's not, let's not think of this as a punitive uh, exercise. Um, but instead of giving me something that would bring me satisfaction temporarily or short term, they gave me a money-making opportunity using a gift that God gave me. I believe in return on investments. So if I buy him something, I want to know that he can either make money from it or, or provide for his family. 
And so those are the types of gifts that make the most sense to me to give a person. You know, you'll, you'll, you have what you need. And he can, you know, he, he's self-sufficient. He's off my payroll. He's graduated from college. He's an accountant. You know, he has a great job, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, what can we do for him at this stage that will continue, you know, continue that will have, pay dividends? Always That's how we look at it. Investing. That's a good thing. Multiple streams of income. Multiple, that one of my favorite phrases, multiple streams. When we return, what we got coming up? Uh, we'll talk about uh, a couple more people. A couple more people. A couple more people. Texas, you Hey, yes, man, we're back. You listen to Friday the Renaissance with the M's. One thing I like about this show, when, when me and Emma sat down, I mean, we were, it's funny, we were sitting down at a, a particular restaurant, we were talking about all the topics. It's the That was at the gathering spot. Yeah, at the when gathering we, spot. When we really got into it, yeah. that was at the gathering spot. But the one thing is, we're talking Black History Month, but we also tell you about some of the people that have made this history that we probably won't know. And that's one, the information that you're getting from this show, people, I've heard great things about it, so keep listening and learning. And, I, and, and right now, this show has really been focused on some great Americans, black Americans, African Americans, people of Africa, people of color who have made money in this country that people don't know about. And we got a few more. Yeah, we got a few. Because we start with Diddy. Yeah, we started <laughs> with Diddy, and now I'm going to talk to Mr. Shut Up and Just Play. LeBron. Le yes, LeBron. James. LeBron James. King James, right? Right. Also of Jamaican descent. Big up. Um, LeBron James uh, opened a school called I Promise, I believe. Yep. And he opened the doors to 240 at-risk third and fourth graders. And I, the, ra the reason why I say the word at-risk is because the prison systems mm. determine how many prisons to build based on the grades of third and fourth graders in urban communities. Right. So instead of in reinvesting money into education, they go ahead and build prisons for Wait them. Wait a minute. Can you repeat that? I will. Don't say anything, though. But they, <laughs> 240 at-risk third and fourth graders. Um, so LeBron James is investing in them so that they don't end up going to prison and filling these prisons that they're building. There used to be, back in the day, a test called the Iowa Test of Basic Skills that we used to take in the third and fourth grade that they used to do that off of. Yes. So we'll, we'll I'll, I'll, I'll give you some more information on that. Okay, I promise. Somebody I promise. Head. I know. I just head sprung. <laughs> I had to make. I had to look up the term for head sprung because I thought it meant something else. I had to look it up. But um, so what LeBron James is doing, and he's doing this through the LeBron James Family Foundation, um, and working with the Akron Public. Oh boy. And uh, working with the Ak Akron Public Schools, um, what LeBron James is doing is he's offering free tuition, right. free uniforms free breakfast, lunches and snacks, yeah. free transportation within two miles, free bicycle and helmet, yep. okay, uh, access to a food pantry for their families, right. guaranteed tuition for all graduates to the University of Akron. Wow. And here's the, here's the thing that really, really got me. I see my son is, wow, okay. So what's more, the parents of the students will receive access to job placement services and help acquiring their GEDs if they don't have it because of the fact that he found out that only the kids have a problem, but if the parents don't have things... They, how can you teach your kids? How can you teach How them? can you teach your kids? So it's very important to make sure their bellies are full. Yeah. It's very important to to kind of be with them at every step of the way. And again, you know, people aren't in the situations financially sometimes because that's where they want to be. That's just how things have happened. And going back to what we talked about last week, when you don't raise the minimum wage either, 
it's hard it's to be able to take care of your children correct. the way that you want. And, and you cannot get mad at parents for not being there for their kids. As he mentioned about time, yeah. you know, when you're trying to put food on the table, you sometimes have to have to take that time away and go try to earn a living. Um, one other person we're going to talk about um, is a, what is it in nuclear engineering? Nuclear, master of Master nuclear. of nuclear engineering. Um, he was a airman. Um, he was in the military. He was a NASA engineer. And he is known for having the most popular toy of all time. The Nerf gun. No, the Super Soaker. The Super Soaker, which is generated. The super Soaker. Yeah, he developed the a Super Soaker. A black man made the Super Soaker, yes. and I didn't know about yeah, it. Yes. His name is Lonnie Johnson. Lonnie Johnson. His name is Lonnie Johnson. And and so far, the, the Super Soaker has earned over a billion dollars in sales. Okay. He has about 127 patents currently pending. 127 patents. Okay. Um, now what he's done here in Atlanta, okay, here in Atlanta, he has a nonprofit called the Johnson STEM Activity Center. Um, and what it's doing is it's funding high school robotic teams and offering them a creative way to, uh, and a creative workspace so that they can build and, and do their stuff. And so this, this uh, center, the Johnson STEM Activity Center, is open to everybody. And I believe it was last year, one of their teams, uh, which had a group of young war refugees, uh, qualified for the worldwide Texas competition. Wow. And they've only been competing for two years so far. Wow. So I you know, I heard about that. Yeah. So if you're looking for places, I mean, there's so many places. If you're looking at, especially because we, you know, with tax-wise, you can't itemize really anymore. So the other way of of getting some tax relief is going to be by donating. You know, look up companies or look up nonprofits that are going to be doing things to raise up the next generation. You know, that that's something that's very very important to me. We'll talk about mine later. Not right now. They're still building. If you don't well, like the you, you get a kids. show. Donate well, to the I'm programs. Don't delay. I want to do it a little bit. Oh, okay, okay. I'm saying at one point, some point, yeah, we're gonna do a show on you. Absolutely. You know, you get, you get time. You get time. Why'd you just tear up, sir? I just teared up because of that factoid about third and fourth being the litmus test for oh, yeah. the need for prisons. You you uh, need to watch the 13th on Netflix. If you I haven't watched it. In, in full disclosure, I don't watch things that are not going to put me in a good emotional space. I like to stay positive. Yeah. You know. Um, but I know the factoids from from yeah. a lot of things, so I, I'll read about it before I watch it. If you know, as long as it doesn't make me do what he just did. Yeah. <laughs> stay with us. If you're looking for that ratchet. You're in the wrong place. It's the nation's urban internet station, Sensation Station Network. Hey, man, we're back. Financial Renaissance with the M. It's that time of the show with the MF. Drops that knowledge on it. You know what it is. It's Emma Knows Money. Emma, what you got for it this week? This week, we're going to continue on the theme of black wealth and trailblazing, but what we're going to talk about is protecting black wealth. We're going to talk about protecting the legacy or securing the bag, protecting the bag. So we're going to talk about a couple of steps. So the first thing that you can do is with your group benefits. You know, if you're a W-2 employee, you know, you should have, you know, life insurance and you should also have something called disability insurance. A lot of times people confuse disability insurance with accidental death and dismemberment. Mm. They're not the same thing. Mm. Accidental death and dismemberment is a very cheap insurance that you get, you know, and it'll cover your life, but you literally, it has to be a full moon um, on the 12th or 13th month, and you actually have to die on the scene in many cases or lose limbs in order for it to pay out. Disability insurance 
protects your income. So if you're not able to work for an extended period of time, you know, the short-term and long-term disability, they'll pay you about 60% in some cases of your salary. It's 50, 60, 70% of your salary, however it is taxable. Okay. Uh, the other thing that I would like people to look at is individual life insurance because what they offer through work sometimes may not cover your family's needs. Um, so you want to look at individual life insurance and also individual disability insurance. So let's think about this for a second. If you earn $50,000 a year and you have group disability insurance, if you go out on disability claim, 60% of your income is replaced, which is taxable. So now that $50,000 a year is really about $25,000. So you're going to take a pay cut of about half your money. So you want to make sure you have something else to replace it, especially if you, like a lot of people, are the sole breadwinner or the head of household. You want to make sure that you are securing your money. Uh, the other thing that you want to do is look at your uh, property and casualty insurance, your homeowners and your auto insurance. And the one thing about um, homeowners insurance that people need to look at is you need to make sure that if you something happens at your house, let's say there's a fire, somebody breaks in, and your TV's gone, right? You want to make sure that they're replacing the TV, but they're not giving you the uh, depreciated value of your TV. And a lot of people have the depreciated value. So if you bought a TV, you know, a year ago, for $1,000, it may only be worth 500 now. You're not getting that same TV, okay? So you want to make sure you're getting actual replacement value. The next thing that you want to do um, when it comes to securing your wealth or your legacy is making sure that you have a will in place and a will, like that one uh, slave owner that I told you about. In his will, he said, I give my assets to my one daughter, the majority of it to my one daughter. So you want to tell people what to do. I call it a letter from beyond the grave. The other thing you want is a power of attorney, a financial power of attorney, and that's who do you give the legal right to write um, checks or do financial matters on your behalf while you're still alive. And then you want a health care directive, and health care directives are important because if something happens to you, the doctors need to know what to do, and a lot of times we'll hear about the do not resuscitate. Um, and there was a big case that happened a long time ago where, you know, a couple was talking about, you know, if anything ever happened to me, you know, and there was no hope of me, re you know, recovering, you know, pull the plug. But this young lady's mother didn't want to, and it cost the family hundreds of thousands of dollars to keep her alive, and that was not her wish. Right, and they and the, her and her husband had kids. So you want to make sure you have a health care directive in place, which tells the doctor what your wishes are if something catastrophic happens to you and you can't speak for yourself. And then the last thing we're going to talk about are trusts. All right, keep your business private. So if you have means and you don't want the world to, to know what your kids have now inherited, you want to put that stuff in a trust. Uh, a trust doesn't go through the public courts, so it's not of public record. When you die, if you don't have, you know, trust, et cetera, everything that you do goes through the probate court, and anybody that knows anybody at the courthouse will know that your family member now has means. Okay? There are people that try to come up that way. So if you're interested in anything that I talked about, um, you can go to letsmakeaplan.org, and the first person that I'll tell you to go find is a certified financial planner in your area. Certified financial planners can talk to you about everything that I just talked to you about, from insurances to wills and trusts uh, and the proper types of insurances for you to get. And that's Emma Knows Money. <laughs> Welcome back. 
Shout out real quick to my boy Antonio Turner saying everything that you just talked about during that point was on point. That's what the military hits on. And people don't know you have a little military background yes, as well. Yes, Antonio, I was in the military. <laughs> but yes, that is what the military harps on, is just making sure you have all your ducks in a row to take care of your family in case you're no longer there. And those that's you know kind of what I'm talking about is you want to make sure that if you you know end up with a terminal disease or you end up in a bad car accident that your family can still thrive and that your medical expenses or your death doesn't totally demolish your family right. and I think that's very important because people think if I'm not here it's over but no people got to take care of stuff after yes. you're gone and we yes. need to make sure everything is talking about because you brought up very good accidents AD&D that kind of threw me out yeah, because I, I would, you know, in what I do in my day job, I'll ask people, you know, oh, do you have disability insurance? And they'll say, yeah, 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 I have, you know, and they'll tell me they do. Then when I ask them, because, you know, you have to prove it to me, it'll be accidental death and dismemberment. Do you know how this works? No. And a lot of times, you know, people don't know how things work, and you have to know what you have before you need it. Those, those were some famous words by, uh, I think his name was Captain John Horn. Uh, back when I was in the military, it taught me that about people, but it's about everything in life. Know what you have before you need it. Let me ask this, Ray, starting off, you're young, just graduated college soon. What's some of the things that you try to put in place to make sure, even though you're young, you still got to protect your assets? So, personally speaking, um, I've been contributing to my 401k at the very least. I also have a secondary savings account with Capital One called Capital One 360. Um, I've got an asset portfolio with Ameriprise Financial. Um, the same stock portfolio that I've told you about previously. Um, it's still in per perpetuity, um, although I've sold off a couple of uh, my stocks like uh, McDonald's, uh, Activision. Do you um, have life insurance? Almost certainly do. And I have a policy on them too. So it's also important to get life insurance on your kids. Wow. And, and especially when they go off to college. Yeah. And I don't mean to, I'm not being funny, but when your kids go to college, you know, you're spending a lot of money to get them there, and if something happens, there's student loans that have to be paid back. So I always tell people, get life insurance when a kid is, is young, because when he was, when he hit puberty, he developed epilepsy. Mm. And so you never know what afflictions your kids may end up coming up with. Wow. So, yeah. Very We're dropping the knowledge today, son. MF. <laughs> the great, <laughs> the number one, number one financial show. <laughs> are listening to watching us live on Facebook at Sensation Station Network. This is Financial Renaissance with the M's and I'm your superhero, Emma Folks. And my I'm just on the side. My Alfred? Yeah. My Robin. Yeah, I'm sitting on the corner. No, I like Alfred. You like Alfred? I like Alfred. And my Alfred. Uh, Alfred's the one like yeah, the computer. Yeah, yeah. You're good, Emma. Let's yes, go. Yes, yes, yes. Let's take on the world. And yeah, and we're we're talking about um we were talking about financial or you know, celebrating Black History Month. We're talking about um um trailblazers, uh people that we didn't know that were millionaires um in our country and also in Africa. Um It talks about we we are resilient people. We are resilient people. Again, call it a comeback. Yeah. Call it a comeback. No more rags to riches. We've had riches. We've lost. We yes, and 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 you've heard the term taken. Taken. You've <laughs> heard the term that if a millionaire loses their money, they can get it back. Right. And when I hear that terminology, and I've been looking at our history, I'm like, wow, it's been taken away from us several times, and we're able to make it back. Um, you know, it, it's it's when we look at protecting our legacy. One of the things I want to leave everyone with this week um, is a, a move your dollars forward tip of the week, and. During my Emma Knows Money segment, I talked about, you know, protecting your legacy, the things that you need to do to make sure that your family is shored up for generations to come. But one of the things you need to do is do an audit. 
you know, you kind of asked me that, and I was like, wait, wait, wait. So what did you want to ask me now? But how do you, you talk about all the insurance policies and all that, because I know how often should you look over those policies and make sure they're up to date and checking the money and things like that? How often should you do that? You should, I do that once a year. Okay. I want to look at my policies, because with disability insurance, if you have an individual policy each uh, year, depending, some policies have a cost of living adjustment rider, and sometimes you have to tell the insurance company that you want it or at least acknowledge that you're getting it because sometimes it can go away. Gotcha. Um, you do want to look at all the policies that you have at least once a year and make sure your beneficiaries are straight because this is how exes get the come up. So let's say you were married, got divorced, and you know you didn't change the beneficiaries on your insurance policies. <clears throat> you pass away, old wife gets the money, new wife and kid get nothing. Okay, so yeah, exactly. So you want to do an audit of your um, of your insurance policies, all of them. And if you don't understand them, then you know pay a CFP a couple bucks um, to find out what you have and let them do the deep dive to explain to you what they have if you don't understand insurance language. I mean, and, and do you have? Uh, some people say at the beginning of the year just make it an appointment to do that. Some people say tax time. Yeah, tax it. time, and then I like to do it around spring cleaning. So for me, gotcha. it's like in the, the, the beginning of the second quarter, like once I'm done with all the tax stuff and, you know, updating our financial plan, et cetera, et cetera, you know, usually when, when we go through the financial planning process, we end up having to, you know, show and prove all of our insurance stuff. So that's a great time to do it, too. That's awesome. And it's something you have to do. I you mean, have to do it. You need to know what you have. Oh, my gosh. And and especially like this, I don't know if I told the story about the woman whose husband died from an aneurysm, you know, and then on his insurance policy, he had his child and his wife listed as the beneficiary. And that caused so many problems, wow. so many problems. So you definitely want to uh, check your beneficiaries, make sure that they're still relevant, that they're still alive, and that you still like them, quite frankly. Very important. <laughs> and don't most policies allow you to do percentages? Or is that yeah, yeah, you can do percentages. There's primary, like, you know, you can have primary, you know, my wife, 100%, and then if something happens to her, you know, contingent beneficiaries. So there's primary beneficiaries, and then there's also contingent beneficiaries. Um, and then there's, you know, per stirpes. There's, you know, if, if one of the people you have listed as beneficiary, if they die, let's say there's three people, if one of those people dies, it can either be, you know, split up between the, the remaining two, mm -hmm. or that person that dies, it can go to their bloodline. Okay, so there's different ways of having the beneficiaries. And again, if this is not something that you do every day, you know, talk to someone who understands this so that they can make sure that what you want to have happen actually happens. Take control of your take control of your future. Take control of your family from beyond the grave. That's from how I look at it. Beyond the grave. Yes, yes. And the and the one thing I really wanna to emphasize and I think that you know, we talked about with this show is, you know, we're doing it not just so that I can run my mouth on a Sunday, because I think both of us <laughs> We talk a lot. We talk a lot, but you know, we would also like to sleep. But we want to make sure that we're giving information out to the community. And if you find value in the information you're getting from us, if you get the knowledge, please, please pass it on. Each one, teach one. Anybody make me do a outcast? No. I Each one, teach truth. one. Tweet point in college. And anyway, so uh, when we come back, man, you know. Wrapping it up. Wrapping it up. Stay with us. You are.
listening to Financial Renaissance with the M's, and we have had an outstanding show today. A very fast show and a pretty emotional show, I would say. A lot of us got choked up and caught up. A lot of heads sprung, a lot of heads blew up. Um, You know, we do what we do. We we, we love doing this show. Um, Next week's show is going to be equally... You know, I think everything I do is good. But uh, <laughs> next week's show, we're going to die. I'm wow. humble. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I'm, I'm humble. I'm humble. I'm humble. Yeah, so talk to us a little bit about next week's show. Next week's show, we're going to talk about, um, we're going to kind of continue on from where we were last week, talking about wages and income. And we're going to harp on how long does money stay in our country and how long does money stay in our communities. What is going to be up I may have to watch some of that Killer Mike show, too, to see. I want to see whether, you know, how how easy. I never tried or, or gave myself the uh, the challenge to try to, you know, buy within my community. Right. Um, it's tough. It gives us some insight on some things. I think it's uh, probably my favorite out of the series he's done. The first show? Yeah, it was okay. my favorite. And it's like he just really hit a point that you really don't know. He'd be like, wow, that's tough that... I can't go to get this yeah. in a particular place. I got to go all, you know, it's just hard to find. Yeah. So, also, I, I just want to say, you know, this was a, for all you out there, go and research some of the people that Emma brought up today. It, it's amazing how when you go out and look up these type things, you get to see that history is bigger and deeper than we've been told. So you can go out and learn Our something. story is bigger yeah. and deeper than has been told. And we have to pass this this financial know-how and knowledge on to our kids. You know, our kids are looking for people to see themselves in. And it's so important that you see yourself in successful people. Yeah. Right. So we have to pass it on to our kids. You know, even if you're not at that financial stage, there's so many free things that you can do, you know, if you don't have a computer, if you have a smartphone, you can get on Google and Google stuff and share it with your kids or make your kids do reports like, you know, I would do with mine. His punishment was push-ups. I'm ex-military. Get you some real estate, sir. It was push-ups and, and doing wow. research on people. <laughs> but he's a two-time All-American now, so it's all good. Junior Olympian. You know, I did right. I did good. You cut up back then, huh? That's why he's so fast. A little bit. <laughs> Just a little bit. That's why he's so Just fast. Look but listen, I want you to go to our page on um, on Facebook. Um, we're at Sensation Station Network. Um, go ahead and like or, or make your comments, and then you can find Emmanuel and us. And us. Emmanuel and I. You can find us on Twitter uh, at M's Said It E M M S Said It. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Financial Renaissance. Um, you know, go ahead and let us know how we're doing. You know. We're here in the studio. We don't get a lot of feedback. I've got like four listeners. I think my mother, my son, my wife, and you. Um, so I need to know who else is out there listening to us. And also, just because the show is over, still comment, still send us stuff. Yeah. Like she's saying, like the MF is saying, get that stuff out there so we can. And it could be on the next show. She can answer some of those questions. Yeah, as well. definitely. And and the show is going to be on uh, is it iTunes and Google something podcast. Probably. Yeah. Get so, all that. Yeah all that so I'll, we'll be putting out those links on our uh, facebook page as, as soon as we as soon as they're readily available now you know what's coming up after this right tell me what's coming up some after smooth this? jazz mm-hmm. got some smooth jazz coming on the station network also a little later we got connecting the dots 
on beyond, kind of like that show too. She'd be drinking and connecting yeah. the dots. So on a Sunday here at the Sensation Station Network, we teach you about that money. We give you that smooth jazz. We also help you connect the dots in life. I mean, you can't get that from any other station, man. Mm -hmm. I mean, Radio not dumbed down. What did what did you learn through all your research when you was going through it? I think the biggest thing was the the financial goat. I had no idea that it was an African that was the richest person of all time, and nobody has uh, amassed the amount of wealth that he has. Financial goat. The yeah, financial goat. That's interesting. What I learned is that uh, in 1960s during the right, there was a millionaire that was employing a lot of black people. That was very important. I mean, I've learned. And a I'm lot. sure there were, like I said, it was a rabbit hole. Yeah. So as you start doing people, you know, as you start doing your research, you know, and you learn stuff, please, each one, teach one. Let us know about stuff too. It is, you know. We celebrate Black History all year long, but when you get a chance to go through it now. Uh, Ray, what did you learn today, sir? I think the one thing that uh, brought tears to mind, as y'all saw, was the fact to it about just the third and fourth graders. Yeah, that's tough. But fortunately, it's a truth, and you see they're building a lot of them. I mean, it, it, it speaks a lot to my childhood, because if you have children without access to food and nourishment they're hangry if you have hangry children hangry young children without parents who have the ability to spend time with them you have young hangry emotionally deprived and emotionally emotionally neglected children what is that a powder keg for yeah. and i'll leave you with that thank you sir for joining us you enjoyed it yes sir uh, thank you very much for having me here today i hope that i can come and join you all again you really ain't got a choice because honestly you ain't like it's far from you yeah, well, everybody knows where you live now. Yeah, we just told them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, people in the station, that is. Yeah. Well. <laughs> we ain't got nobody. Hey, just go to <laughs> Just go to race. Yeah. <laughs> when, you're at, when you're at Waffle House at 3 in the morning, this is who you call when you need a ride. Forget Uber. I'm charging interest. <laughs> and we learned that at a young age, Yes. Ray had to pay that extra for that blockbuster candy. And that's right. <laughs> no freebies. No, no freebies. freebies. No freebies Bees. here. I give Man. you what you need, what you want. You got to pay for it. Thank you for joining the Station Station Network. Catch us later. And there it is. Benjamin's assets, income.